Hey, good afternoon, Victory family. What's up, everybody? Hey, let's, get, let's welcome everybody online, uh, locally as well as around the world. What is up, United Kingdom, Panama, Philippines? What is going on? Hey, uh, believe it or not, it is the last Sunday before Christmas. Goodness great. Hey, listen, if you ain't shopped yet, forget it. Give them an IOU. <laughs> I saw the meme this week that said, uh, if you're still tracking, like the tracking information, it's, it's in God's hands at this point. Like, just forget it. <laughs> forget it, man. Leave it to the reindeer. They'll, they'll get it here. Um, but what that means is uh, it is Christmas gift of the world time. It means that next week is our Christmas Eve services. Super excited about that. It means New Year's Eve is right around the corner. It means that we're right on the heels of uh, our, our first week of January doing our seven days of prayer and fasting. Super excited about that. Uh, as we launch in like a rocket ship into what God has for us next year. But what it also means is we have one more week. Everybody say one more week. One more week, one more week uh, of this series of diving into what is hands down the most important thing that we could ever talk about because we're talking about the love of God. Come on, the love of God changes Everything, everything, everything. And if you remember, the Apostle Paul prays for us in Ephesians 3, and we've kind of been glancing at this every week. Let's look at it. Ephesians 3, verse 16. Here's what he prays. He says, I pray that from God's glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots grow down into God's love and keep you strong, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is, and may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, may you know the love of God, even though it's beyond knowledge. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Here's what he's saying. If you want to be made complete in God, then your roots have to sink down into God's love. So much hinges on this. Remember, Pastor Jimmy Evans says this, that we can only draw as close to God as our image of God will allow. And this is why it's so important for us to draw near to God, not just to know about God, but to know God. Not just to know about the love of God, but to know the love of God. And Paul is praying for us that our roots would sink down deep into it because we live in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And he's saying that our soul has to be nourished by the love of God. It has to be. And he's saying, may we know the, the width right, of his affections for us, the, the depth of his love for us, the height of his thoughts towards us, the length of his patience for us. May we know God himself. This is, if, you're, if you're wondering, he's saying that, that we need to correct our theology. We need to have an encounter with the living God. That helps to form who God is. And this is what we're diving into. And so here's the, here's the good news, is that God's love puts on flesh. And Jesus Christ walks among us. And he tells us this story. It's probably his most famous story um, in the entire Bible about God's love. And we call it the parable of the prodigal son. And that's the story we've kind of been orbiting around here for now the fourth week. 
And what this story is, this is a story that's captured, I would just say it like this, captured our imaginations, people's imaginations for centuries. It's found its way into our language, right? People still talk about prodigals. Even in today's world, it goes back to Jesus's words. Uh, and it's even found its way into our art. And over, just over the last few months, I've just kind of been looking at this. I've, I've loved art history in church. And so I just wanna just put a few of these up here. Here's a few prodigal son images that I wanna show you throughout the course of today. I love, I love this one, it's so vivid. It's obviously a newer image, but you can see leaving one place, entering into another place, leaving death and gloom and skulls. You see a cross, you see the smoke, you see the crowdedness. You see a, a dove over, over the shoulder, by the way, the Holy Spirit is not a dove. Uh, it takes the form of a dove, it's symbology, okay. Um, but you see him leaving one place, entering into another place. You see the father running there in the right and the blue, coming to find the son. Let's look at this next one. I, I, I love this, this next image because um, of this, this dejectedness of the son, the son of basically saying, I have nowhere else to go. See the father, you see the ruddy cheeks, right? You see the, you see the, the, the red hands, the, the embracing, the love, the tender care. There's one more. Um, this one is from Rembrandt. And Rembrandt actually did a lot of prodigal son imagery. He was kind of obsessed with it. He actually calls this the art of forgiveness. That's the name of this sketch. And each one of these has so much imagery. If you, you can just kind of sit here and stare at them for hours. And what we've been doing over the past really three weeks, now leading into four, is we've been turning this story um, every single week and seeing the story through a different set of eyes, through a different vantage point every single week because there's not just one character in this story, okay? But the first week, what we did, we saw that this story really was the story of a prodigal son. That's where we begin. This, this son who took his inheritance, who rejected his dad, who went away in wayward, sinward, uh, sin, uh, sinful living, wasted it all, and then came to his senses and returned. And here, here's the, the, the amazing truth, is that even though this son had been a terrible, terrible son. The father embraces him and brings him back into the family. And it was there in that first week that we actually saw that, that it doesn't matter how far away you go, God's love is able to reach anyone and everyone and call them home. Come on, some of us, we need to get some renewed faith in that, some renewed hope in that, that we have the God who can reach you no matter where you are. They can reach your loved one no matter where they are. No one is too far gone for the love of God to not call them home. And the second week, we turned the story and we actually saw that this isn't just called the parable of the prodigal son. This is actually called the parable of two lost sons because there's another son and he's been out in the field working this entire time. And when, the, when his younger prodigal brother comes home, dad throws a party, he hears the music and he refuses to come inside because he's been working while his brother's been wasting. And so dad goes out into the field to try and get him to come in. Come on, it's bad enough when you got one punk son, but now you got two punk sons, right? And so he's trying to get him back in the house, uh, but he refuses to come in because he's self-righteously judging his younger brother and accusing his dad of not giving him honor. And what we saw is this, it's possible to be moral and religious and still not know God. And then last week, we turned the story again, and we saw this story through the eyes of the storyteller, the good son himself, Jesus Christ, the good older brother. And here in this story, here's what he's telling us. He's telling us who we are, that we're all lost children, 
He's telling us who he is, that he's the redeemer. And he's telling us who God is, that God is the good father, that Jesus is the way, the father is the where, and Jesus came to get us home to the father. And today, as we close this series out, we're turning it one more time. And we're seeing this story through the eyes of the one that the story is really actually all about. We're seeing this, uh, this story through the eyes of the good father. Because ultimately, this isn't just a story of a prodigal son. This isn't just the story of two lost sons. Actually, many, in some Bibles, you can actually find this, that this story is called the parable of the faithful father. And it's here in the story that Jesus is introducing us to his dad, to his Abba, to his father. He's trying to correct our broken theology, our, our broken views of who God is. Why? Because you can only draw as close to God as your image of God will allow and he's trying to introduce us to what God's love actually looks like. So what does God's love actually look like? What does the Father's love actually look like as we see it here in Luke 15, the story of the faithful Father? Here's, the, here's what we find out the first thing, is that the Father's love initiates. Everybody say initiates. It begins this, it pursues. Um, a, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, um, was telling me this story about his own family, about his own son, that he, uh, he and his wife adopted a teenage boy um, some years ago. And if you know that world, you know that not many teenagers get adopted. Everybody, you know, if you're, in the, in, if you're trying to adopt, you're probably going for a baby. Um, but the, he and his wife felt like God was leading them to adopt an older uh, child. And then this boy actually wrote to his family asking them to adopt him. And so they just saw that as God's hand is on this. And so they went through all the process. They went through all, all the hoops, all the jumps, went through all the trainings, everything. Adopted the boy, brought them into their family, changed his last name, called him their own, became part of the family. And then you fast forward just a little bit and he ran away. And he went back looking for his birth parents. And he ended up back in the place where he was most comfortable. He ended up on the streets. Uh, he ended up back addicted to drugs, um, just making absolutely terrible life decisions. And if you've ever been in that place before, here's what he said. He said, there's, as a parent, there's really no greater pain than watching your child just, just disappear. But he said this, he said, despite all that, he said, despite all the pain, despite all the rejection, despite all the, I hate you, you're not, you're not, I'm not yours, like all that sort of stuff. He said, he looked everywhere. He put, he put the pictures, he's talking to everybody, he searches high and low, he's out on the streets, he's driving around, he does all that. And when he had finally exhausted all that, he said, he came into this place of living where as a parent whose child is gone, he said every single time, he'd be in his house, he said every single time a car would drive by, he would go and look in the window. And every time he heard a car door close, he would go and peek through the blinds. And every single time his phone would ring, he would think to himself, could this be the time? Because when your child is missing, all you want is for them to come home. And when this prodigal son in Jesus' story runs away and he rejects his dad and he basically takes everything from the house, sells it, and then goes and wastes it, and he comes to his senses and he just crawls back home. He has this image of what his father's going to do when he comes back home. He thinks my father's gonna hate me. He's gonna be angry with me. He's gonna kick me. He's gonna reject me. But here's actually what happens. Luke 15, 20 says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. See, get this, guys. The son thought the dad was waiting to hurt him, but the dad was actually waiting to hug him. 
because that's the type of father that we have. I wanna show this, 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 this next imagery here. I, I love this. This is my, my most favorite recent painting that I've come across. I love the, the shame covered in gold. I love that tender kiss. I love the embrace because there's nothing like a hug to say you're home. And specifically, I love the kiss on the forehead. Why, you know, because we sing songs about God's love. And there's, you know, if you know like church culture, there's like the little debate. Are we, are we a church when we sing how he loves us? Are we the church that sings like a sloppy wet kiss or an unforeseen kiss? Or which, which verse do we sing, right? We don't wanna be that sloppy wet kiss church. Here's what I believe. I believe those two verses, one is from God's perspective, the other one's from our perspective. Because when God kisses us, we did, whoa, I didn't expect that. But from God's perspective, it's this abandoned affection. And I've mentioned it before, it, it, I, I don't care how old I get, the, the never ceasing image of my father, my father, will be his prickly beard on my forehead with his like kiss. And I'm like, ah, dad, ugh. I still do that. I'm like 42, I'm like, dad, Because it's just this sloppy wet kiss. As a dad, I do the same thing to my son. They're like, dad. But that's the type of father we have, the father who initiates, who embraces us in our shame, who hugs us, who welcomes us back home, and who plants one on our forehead to say, hey, I'm still your dad, you're still my kid. Because that's what real love looks like. And guys, honestly, let's just go there for a second. Part of our problem is that we live in a world that has absolutely no clue what love is. Absolutely no clue what love is. See, in, in English, we really only have like one word for love. That's a problem, you know, what, you know what I'm saying? Like, I love green beans and I love my wife. That's a problem. That's a different sort of love, but I don't really have a different word for it, right? But in the language of the New Testament in ancient Greek, they actually had at least three words for love. Let's look at them really quick. So three, three Greek words for love. The first one's phileo, which is the love of a friend. You know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that's phileo, that's where it comes from. Eros, which is physical sexual side of love. Eros literally means to fondle. So I think you get the idea. Um, and then agape, for all our Southern people, that's not agape, that is agape. Um, which is not romantic love, it is committed love. This is covenantal love. This is, um, it doesn't matter the argument we just got in, don't worry because I'm still gonna be here in the morning sort of love. That's agape. That is, Jesus says, agape, the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Agape, the committed, the covenantal love. It's, it's out, listen, it's outside of emotions, this is a decision of covenant. I am not gonna leave you, I'm not gonna forsake you. Guess what? John, the one who leaned his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper in 1 John 4, 19, said what? God is agape. God is love. See, everybody likes to say, well, God is love, but we don't know what love means. 
God is agape. God is covenantal, committed. I'm not going anywhere sort of love. But the problem is we live in a world that doesn't know agape. So they fall back on eros. They fall back on sexual love. And eros is where the whole world is trying to find love. In fact, this last week, Billie Eilish, you know, the pop, pop culture, pop singer, um, she came out saying that when she was 11 is when she actually became uh, addicted to abusive, violent pornography at age 11, age 11. And this is what the world around us is allowing to form our image of love. This is what a man does. This is what a woman does. This is how they express their love to each other. And now she sings about polluted love and that's reinforcing porn culture in the world around us, which is training our children of what love actually is. And since we don't have agape, we fall back on eros, which is why we live in a world that is oversexed, but still underloved because we're using each other and that's not love, that's lust. We're trying to squeeze agape out of sex and you can never do it. That's why you keep running back to that well that's dry. And we're hoping sex will meet our deepest needs, but it never satisfies because we weren't made for eros. Eros was meant to actually be an expression of agape inside of a marriage. But we're trying to get agape out of eros and we got the, the thing backwards, right? What we're actually hungry for is agape. What we're actually hungry for is committed, covenantal. You love past all this. You love what's deep down on the inside of here. That's what we're hungry for. We're hungry for, you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You love me for the deep part of who God made me to be. That's agape. You know what we're actually hungry for? We're hungry for God. First John 4, 19, God is agape. And we have to understand, guys, our definition of love is keeping us from love. Because we think love is all about you meeting my needs and me getting something from you. We think that love is all about emotion. We think love is about how you make me feel, right? Why? Because we don't know what love is. And so we live in a world, listen, that says, if you don't agree with my lifestyle, you don't love me. If, if you don't support all of my desires, you don't love me. Come on, and we throw around really broken terms. Go there with me. That we, we even say there's such a thing as LGBTQ marriage. Why? Because love wins. How does a culture that doesn't know what love is get to say love wins? You don't know what love is. How can you say love wins? You don't know what love is because God is real love. God is real love. And we learn what love is by looking at God. So John 3, 16, John 3, 16 says this, for God so agape the world that he gave his only son. Uh, 1 John 4, 10, this is real love. You ever wonder what real love is? Real love, not that we agape God, but that God agape us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the question, what is real love? Real love is like a middle school dance. Boys on one side, girls on the other, and the chasm in between, right? And nobody, nobody's walking out there, right? And then the one single solitary young man walks to the middle of the room and goes. <laughs> and he offers and extends his hand to his beloved with no promise 
that his beloved will ever requite his love. And that is what the faithful father did for us in Jesus Christ. The chasm in between. And he initiated the whole story. And he walks out to the middle of the dance floor and he extends his arm out. He says, come on, come home. With no promise that we would ever answer. Guys, love is not sex and love is not sexual. Love is giving until it hurts. Love is bleeding for your beloved, even if they never give love back. Love is making a way for the prodigals to come home. Love is pleading with the older brothers to stop working for love. Love is waiting on the front porch for your beloved to finally crest the hill. Real love is chasing them down again and again, throwing your arms around them again and again, even though they strayed again and again, kissing them on the head again and again, hugging them again and again, embracing them again and again. Why? Because this father's love doesn't sit back and passively wait. This father's love initiated the whole story. This father's love swung the doors open wide. This father's love held his hand out at the cross and said, come on, come on. It's time to come back to the family because this father's love initiates. Second thing the father's love does is it imparts. Father's love initiates and the father's love imparts. Everybody say imparts. Father's love initiates, and then the Father's love gives generously once we're home. Luke 15, let's continue that story, because what happens after the Father embraces the Son? Let's, let's catch back up. But while he was still a long way off, the prodigal, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Very true. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That is absolutely true. But the Father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe put it on him, bring a ring and put it on his fingers, bring the sandals, put it on his feet, bring the fattened calf and killed it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. And what the father's love does, it begins giving the son these gifts. And each one of these gifts had a cultural significance of the father imparting sonship back to his son. So let me pause, let me do a timeout real quick. I wanna to speak to the ladies in the room and online. Um, when we talk about sonship, that includes you, okay? That's not a gender statement, that's a positional statement. Okay, this is, hold on, I, I struggle with being called a son of God. Okay, just the same way the guys struggle with being part of the bride of Christ. Okay, I'm like, you get this imagery in your mind, you're like, Am I wearing a dress, like, we, like, like a bouquet, like what is the thing? No, we as the church, it's like we're the bride and it's like he's the groom, right? And let me just talk to you ladies. It's like he's the father and it's like your son. Why? Because in that culture, the girls had no inheritance. The girls had nothing. Like basically their, their job was to be married off. The sons are the ones who got, who got the inheritance. The sons were the ones who got the stuff. The sons were who the ones at the father's right hand. And what God says, you now have a position just like that in the kingdom. That's what he says. That men, you're part of the bride of Christ. Ladies, you're, you're one of the sons of God, positionally speaking. And so the father's love, here's what he does. So this applies to you. It doesn't just apply to the, to the prodigal sitting next to you right now. The father's love, here's what it does. He puts the best robe on his son's shoulders. 
Why? Because the son, remember, the son had just been sitting in pig slop. The son is filthy. The son stinks. And the son has dragged himself back home. He needs to be covered. And so what the father is saying, I'm not going to leave you filthy. I'm going to cover you with cleanness. That's what he says. And I want you to pay very close attention. The father doesn't say, hey, go get his old robe. Because the son is not who he used to be. He says, go get my robe. He says, go get my robe. Here's what he's saying. He says, son, you've wandered and you're covered in your filth, but I'm gonna give you my righteousness. I'm gonna give you my robe. Isaiah, in Isaiah 61, he cries out. He says, I praise God because he has given me a robe of righteousness. Revelation 6 says that in God's presence, we are all given white robes representing the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he has, that he gives us. And the angels rejoice. As the sinner comes home and God gives them a new robe in place of the filth that we once had. And then the father's love puts a ring on the son's finger. This was a signet ring culturally. And uh, this was basically a gold ring with a family crest on it. And uh, signet is where we get the word signature from. And so if you've ever seen the old movies, right, where they would do a letter and put some wax on it and then put the stamp or the seal in it, that was basically their signature. And so here's the deal. The slaves didn't get the signet ring. The sons got the signet ring because they were part of the family. They could speak on behalf of the family. They had family authority. And so what the father is saying is, hey, you're no longer a slave. You're not going to be a slave in my presence. You're going to be a son. I'm giving you the full authority of the family. You understand, when you come home, you get the full authority of the family. And then the father's love put some Gucci sandals on his son's feet. <laughs> Why does that matter? Because slaves didn't have sandals. Slaves walked around barefoot. And so what the father's immediately saying is, kill your narrative. You're not gonna try and come and work back your way into the family. You're not a slave, you are a son. And then the father's love kills the fattened calf. And he throws a huge party. Why does that matter? Because these people in this culture did not eat meat because it was so expensive. But this father knew that his son was coming home. So he's been feeding that cow, feeding that cow. Get that thing fat because the day that my son comes home, we're gonna throw some party. We're gonna cut some fillets. We're gonna smoke some ribs. We're gonna have a big party up in this joint. And I felt this, listen, come on, let me get in your business for a second. I felt this for some of you. I felt like some of you parents stopped feeding the fattened calf because you gave up hope that your prodigal was ever gonna come home. I feel like some of you spouses gave it, you stopped feeding hope, you stopped feeding faith that that person was ever gonna come home. So that, that calf is really skinny. So when they come home, there's gonna be nothing to celebrate because you didn't have hope for it. You didn't have faith for it. And I believe that today God is telling you to feed hope and to feed faith, to get that calf fat again for when the prodigal comes home. And they throw this huge party where the father's singing, where the father's dancing, where the father's rejoicing. And it's one of my favorite scriptures. It reminds me of this, 7i 3.17. For the Lord, your God is living among you. He's a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all your fears. I love this. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I love that. Another translation says, he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy 
with shouts of joy. I, I, I hear stories. I've talked to men, um, professional athletes who just say, I would give anything in my possession for my dad to come to one game and sit in the stands and root me on, but he's never done it. I'm here today to tell you every single day of your life, your heavenly father has been standing in the stands, rooting you on, rejoicing over you with shouts of joy, saying, that one's mine. That one's mine. Look at him. Look at her. It's awesome. Even, listen, with the pathetic little attempts we make, it's like, it's like I, I used to kid, uh, coach, uh, coach my kids when they were playing t-ball and they would swing with all their might and they'd hit it three inches in front and then they'd run to third base and everybody's like, what are you doing? I'm like, that one's mine. <laughs> that one's mine. Because that's what a father does. He rejoices. He imparts. He says, that's my son. The one I'm well pleased with. That's what this father does. I want you to notice this. This father does not make his son work to get these things. He gives them immediately and he gives them freely. And what Jesus is saying is this. When you come into the kingdom, you're immediately a child of God. Listen, some of you, some of you got saved last week. Some of you are gonna come to faith in about 15 minutes. Listen, you have just as much access to God our Father as I do. Because once you're a son, once you're a daughter, once you're a child, you're a child. You're not on probation. Listen, God's not like, all right, all right, all right. Be good for like six months. And then you're gonna get a robe, okay? And then about six months after that, I'm gonna give you some authority. And about a year after that, I'm gonna give you some joy. Just, just work it and earn it back. No, Jesus has already paid the price. Come on, somebody. He took what should have been ours, and, he, and we get what it is. In fact, St. Irenaeus, this is one of my favorite quotes. He says, he became what we are to make us what he is. He became what we are to make us what he is, and he opened up the door for us to receive sonship. Listen, so we can wear a robe of righteousness because Jesus was stripped naked. Why? Because we get what was his, and he took what was ours. I can wear a ring of authority on my finger because Jesus' hand was pierced for my rebellion. I can wear the, the, the sandals of a son of peace, the shoes of peace on my feet because Jesus' feet were pierced for my sins. We can drink the cup of joy because Jesus drank the cup of suffering in Gethsemane. Come on, we can, we can celebrate and party with the family of God because Jesus died and suffered alone. He took what was ours to make us what he is. We get sonship. We get the inheritance. We get the joy. And listen, today, it's, it's your, Jesus came to give us the right to be called children of God. You have to grab it because this was available to both sons. Listen, one had to come out of his rebellion. The other one had to come out of the field trying to work for it. They both had to come in and get it. One of them had, had to, to stop thinking he was unworthy. Listen, I come across so many people who are just buried in condemnation. I'm not worthy to be called God's son. You're right. That's what the prodigal said. And then the father changed the narrative. He said, you're right. You're not worthy to be called my son, but I call you my son. And so we have to receive it. And even when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And, so, and some of you are out there trying to, trying to say, well, God, you owe me. You have to lay that down too and just receive. We are saved by grace, through faith, not by works. It's a free gift of God or else we could boast about it. The father says, listen, you are always with me. 
everything I have is yours. And so today, what we have to do, we have to receive sonship. We have to receive righteousness. We have to receive peace. We have to receive authority. We have to receive joy. Receive it. Just reach up and grab it. That's what God has for you. You don't have to work for it. You get it as a child. That's what he imparts to us. So the Father's love initiates. The Father's love imparts. Here's the third thing it does. The Father's love reconciles. Father's love reconciles. One of the easiest mistakes to make in this story, this Luke 15, prodigal son, two lost sons, faithful father story, is to think that this story is just a story um, of a father being reconciled to his sons. It's actually much more than that. This is, uh, listen, this is also a story about the children being reconciled to each other. Because if you pay attention to the detail of Luke 15, go back and read it this week. Go back and read it tonight, right? You'll see how the story ends. Most people don't really pay attention to that. Luke 15, Jesus, as a master storyteller, okay, he ends Luke 15 with a cliffhanger. Because the father, he welcomes in the prodigal son. The older brother won't come in the house. And the, the father goes out to say, hey, come in the house, period, end of story. Jesus doesn't tell us if the older son comes inside. Because again, I think as a master storyteller, what he's really asking is, are you gonna come inside? Are, you have to fill in the blank yourself. Are you gonna come back in with the rest of the family? Are you gonna come in? Because the prodigal's already here. Are the older religious ones gonna come in the house too? Are you gonna be able to celebrate too? And it's here, I wanna show you this last picture. This is another Rembrandt picture here. See the father embracing the prodigal, shoe torn in half. And this is the only picture I could find where the older brother is actually in the house. He's there on the right in the red robe. That's the family color. Because I think Rembrandt knew something, that that's where the older brother belonged. He knew that it was just right for the family to be together. That it wasn't right for the older brother to rebelliously sit outside. But that we all needed to come inside back to the family because the father's love isn't just reconciling us to himself, the father's love is reconciling us back to the family. So listen, guys, we've been in a season of COVID, right? And I, how long has it been? Has it been a week, 40 years? I don't know. Does anybody know? I don't know. It's COVID time, right? It's stretched on. And um, it's, the, it's the new normal. I think we're all tired of that phrase, but it's the new normal. And during this time, some of us have pressed in to God. Some of us have kind of pulled back from our good father. Some of us have pressed into the family of God. Some of us have pulled back from the family of God. And let me just say this, particularly to the ones who are online, some of us are in the building. Some of us are online. Maybe you're in other nations. Maybe um, some of you are sick. Maybe some of you today, you're on vacation. Maybe some are afraid of rain. <laughs> maybe you're traveling. Maybe there's other circumstances. But there's others of us who could be face-to-face -face 
who could be in the building, but you're not. For whatever reason, during the season, you've just chosen to say like, I like this way better. Allow me to say this as, as the pastor. Being online is like watching a fireplace on TV. You can see the warmth, but you can't feel the warmth. Because this, this whole thing was meant to be like a family dinner, right? So I even encourage, listen guys, if, if you're here in the building, the church is not a sermon. This is the problem with like sermons living on YouTube because people think I went to church, I watched a sermon. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Because you understand like, you're not the church. That's a, that's a broken phrase that people throw around. You're not the church, right? Because you know the word for church is ecclesia, which literally means the gathering. So you're not the gathering. We are the gathering. We are the church. You're not the church. We are the church. Listen, you at home, by yourself, online, you are not the church. We are the church. The church is ecclesia. The church is the gathering. The church is the assembly. And this thing wasn't just made for us to come once a week and sit down in a seat and, and stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, say some prayers, hear a sermon, and then turn around and go home and never connect with the family. It's possible to be, it's possible to be here in the building and actually be more disconnected than, than somebody online. You understand that? Because we kind of trick ourselves into thinking we're part of the family. Be, a family dinner is looking in people's eyes. Family dinner is telling stories, is knowing and being known, right? And so here's the deal. Like, can you zoom into a family dinner? Yeah, you can. Is it, is it better than nothing? Absolutely. Is it a good, like, hey, I'm traveling, so I'm not able to be there? Absolutely. But is zooming into a family dinner the way that family dinner was meant to be? No, absolutely not. Online church was meant to be a bridge, not a destination. It's a way to be able to reach people who can never actually be connected to begin with and to bring them into the family. But let me tell you guys, you need eye contact. At the very least, you need somebody sitting next to you right now that you can talk to about this once it's over. You need shared experience, you need a handshake, you need a hug, right? You need to be a part of the family. Listen guys, don't just walk out of here when service is over, be a part of the family. Because the Father's love doesn't just reconcile him to himself, it, it reconciles us to each other, to the rest of the family. And, and the, the same friend of mine, okay, the same friend of mine who, who adopted, right, he's kind of in these circles, and um, he told me the story that one of his friends actually adopted two HIV-positive boys at different times. And again, not a lot of people are lining up to adopt HIV-positive children, but this is something God called them to do, and so they adopted the first son, and then three years later, they felt like it's time to adopt another son, another HIV positive son. So they went to adopt Charlie. And they went and adopted him. They got him in the car and they're driving back to the house to again, start this new life together. And so it, there's so much tension inside the car. Nobody's talking to each other. They're kind of nervously looking in the rear view mirror. What's our older son gonna be saying to Charlie? Like how, they're, not, they're not talking to each other. And you can see there's, they're seeing that their older son's trying to form the words. How can, how can I talk to him? How can I welcome him? What can I say to him? And so with all this tension inside the room, uh, inside the car, it says that they pulled up inside their driveway. They put the car in park and they just kind of look in the, in the rear view mirror. And they said their older son, looked over at Charlie, put his arm around his shoulder and said, hey, you're gonna love it here. 
said they opened up the door and went running out of the car and went and played. And family, that is our role as older brothers and sisters in God, to swing the door open wide, to put our arm around the shoulder of somebody who's struggling and to say, hey, you're gonna love it here. You're gonna love it here. Because the Father's love doesn't just reconcile us back to the Father. It reconciles us back to the family. So I look forward to welcoming you back into the building on Christmas Eve. <laughs> you're gonna love it here. <laughs> but here's the deal, I get it, I get it. Some of you, you're, because of whatever reason, you're not able to, to be in the building. Okay, I understand that. Here's what I'm gonna challenge you with, though. It's now your job to fling the doors of your house open wide and to welcome in the prodigal neighbors and the prodigal sons and daughters and the older brothers over here and to fill your house, to put your arm around their shoulders and to say, hey, you're gonna love it in the Father's house. Welcome them in for Christmas Eve. Welcome them in for the weeks to come as we step into the new year. Be a good older brother and older sister in God. And I wanna close with this. This, this last year, we've said this phrase a lot, that you were made for something great. And what we're really saying is, God has put unique gifts and talents and abilities on the inside of you that, that need to get out of you, right? For his glory in the world around you. But I wanna shorten that statement and reform it into a question, right? If you were made for something great, let me ask you this question. Before all that, why do you think you were made? Why do you think you were made? It's kind of that existential question, right? Why am I alive? Why do I have breath? Why, why am I alive at this time in the world, right? Why was I made? And a lot of people would answer, well, to serve God, right? To love God, to worship God. No. Eventually, yes. But all that's a response. Why were you made? You were made so God could love you. You were made to be loved. Before you work, before you do a thing, you were made to be loved. God's capacity for love is so great that he made you to love you. He has no lack, he has no need. It was a desire, it was a want. He made you to love you. And in case you've ever doubted it, God loves you. 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 He loves you. 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 God 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 loves you. He 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 loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Right there. Right in your hair. See it. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. 
God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And he smiles when he thinks about you. His thoughts towards you are more numerous than the sand on the seashore. In his grace and his mercy and his agape, he separated your sins as far from you as the east is from the west. Even though your sins are like scarlet, you've been washed as white as snow by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. He loves you, Gary. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And this is the love that initiates. It's the one who started this whole story. We can only love him because he loves us. He loved us first. It's a love that imparts. It's a love that gives, 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 gives recklessly, abandonedly, sloppy way. Gives, gives. It's a love that reconciles us, not just back to him. It's love is so great. It reconciles you to the people around you. The world says you should be enemies of. <laughs> he loves you. He loves you so much. And what he's saying today is, come home. Come home. Come home. Because you're going to like it here. <laughs> Let's bow our heads and let's talk to him. Father, you're so good, you're so kind. First John 4, 19, our God is agape. Oh, it's this committed covenantal, death do us part love. Father, I thank you that your love for us is not based on emotion. <laughs> it's based on a decision, it's a choice to love. And so, God, we receive that. It's not just a love to be known about. It's a love to be known. We receive it even experientially right now in this moment. God, I just pray that we would feel the robe and the ring and the sandals and the party. That you rejoice over us with shouts of joy. And listen, family, the doors of the house are open wide because Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. The Father is the where. Jesus can't paid the price, rose again, resurrected, ascended in glory. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. The way into the Father's house is through the Father's Son. And so today, there's some of us, we need to respond to that. We, we need, we need to, to come into this family that the Father so extravagantly opened the doors to through his Son, Jesus. And we do that through faith, we do that through acknowledging what Jesus has done, and we do that through repenting, which means turning, which is a 180, a turning from my way to go God's way. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray together in this moment. I invite you to jump into this prayer with us. Pray it from the deepest part of who you are. As a family, we're gonna pray it together. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so deeply that you paid for my life with your life. You went to the cross to take the punishment that should have been mine for my sin. And you died, but you rose again, and you're alive. <laughs> so right now, I say yes to Jesus Christ, and I repent of my sin. I leave my broken path, my sinful ways, to go God's way for the rest of my days. 
Jesus Christ is my Lord, is my Savior. And because of what he's done, God is my Father and I'm his child. And now, through faith, I am clean, I am holy, I am forgiven, and I am free. I am a child of God forevermore. And I receive the joy of the Lord today. In Jesus' name. Just allow that, come on, just allow that, that forgiveness, that worth, the affirmation, Allow that gentle father correction to come in to wherever we've strayed on our own paths to call us back home. Call us back to his paths, his paths of righteousness, his paths that are good and holy, his paths that lead to life and not to death. Father, we say yes to you for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name.